Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 59, The Fall of Syracuse. We last left Syracuse in 214 BC, and you would not be wrong to expect us to go through 213 BC. Yet, we have a very strange set of circumstances. I have no sources for what was going on in 213. Absolutely nothing. Nothing of any note happened for Sicily to even be mentioned by Livy in 213, and I can find no information of the Siege of Syracuse beyond 214 in Polybius. So, we must infer from this that Sicily remained in a stalemate. Himilco in Agrigentum, Hippocrates in Mergantia, and Epiclides in Syracuse for the Carthaginians, and Marcellus commanding the Roman force besieging Syracuse with Crispinus. Though, also on the side of the Carthaginians in Syracuse was the Greek mathematician Archimedes, who was working on the defence of the city. So, after a whole lot of nothing, something finally happened in 212. Marcellus was no doubt weary, as winter drew to a close, and the spring of 212 began. As we've just said, he had achieved nothing in two years. He was debating with himself whether he should continue to press the siege, or whether to do so was pointless, and he should instead try and take Agrigentum. The city's defences made Syracuse untakeable in an assault, while access to the sea made it impossible to cut the city off from Carthaginian supplies. Marcellus seems to have been leaning towards giving up, but he didn't want to be regretful in doing so, and was determined to try everything before he finally gave up. He had some of the pro-Roman aristocrats in his camp. They had been exiled when Hippocrates and Epiclides took control of the city, so Marcellus had been able to bring them into his fold. He wanted to try and get them into the city, so that they could talk with the other pro-Romans, and hopefully make a deal to bring the city back into Roman hands. The gist of the terms were that a surrender by the Syracusans would result in Syracuse being allowed to govern itself with its own laws. This strategy proved a disaster. Suspicious of just this sort of thing, the aristocrats were not allowed into the city, but just when all looked bleak, a slave of one of these aristocrats managed to enter the city, posing as a deserter. He started talking to people, and a plot began. It grew larger and larger, until a man who was jealous at not being invited into the group betrayed them to Epiclides. All 80 members of the conspiracy were killed. Alas. But this was after a war. They would move on and try something else. Well, not the 80 who were dead. Soon enough, an opportunity presented itself. A certain Spartan was in Syracuse, and was sent to King Philip of Macedon, but he was captured by the Romans. Epiclides wanted to ransom the man, and the Romans were not opposed to this either. In case you're wondering why, it is because, in their early contacts with Greece, the Romans were trying to become friends with the Aetolians, who were allied with the Spartans, and when you're trying to make a new friend, holding one of their friends captive is not a good way of going about it. So, 
just how was this an opportunity? Well, the Romans and Syracusans would have to negotiate a deal, and they met by the Trogyli Harbour, which was a great chance for the Romans to get very close to the walls without causing suspicion. So they looked around, and one of the Romans noticed that the walls in this section were a lot lower than elsewhere. He took this information to Marcellus, who thought it was valuable, but couldn't be used just at that moment. Aware that this piece of wall was significantly lower, so that it could be relatively easily taken, it was heavily guarded. All the Romans needed was an occasion where the wall would not be as guarded, and this came very quickly. A deserter from Syracuse informed them that a three-day festival of Diana was in progress. Despite the access to the wider world by sea, the city was suffering shortages, and to make up for this, Epiclides was supplying wine to the whole city in greater quantities than was usual. Certainly adhering to the philosophy that alcohol is the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. This was to be Marcellus's chance. He ordered the troops to eat and sleep early, while a group of elite soldiers were chosen to lead the attack. Meanwhile, ladders were prepared for the assault. He waited for it to get late, so that those who had been drinking in the city would now be sleepy, and moved out with 1,000 troops. They silently moved up to the walls, climbed up, and managed to take a section without notice, so the rest of the army could begin the advance. They began to make their way into the city, while the advanced force marched through the streets, killing the few unfortunate souls who happened to still be awake. When enough men were in the city, they began an attack from all sides, now planning to terrify the Syracusans. Those in that quarter of the city were indeed terrified, believing the whole city had fallen, though it must be said that many were fast asleep after a night of heavy drinking. At this point, a set of gates was forced open, and the whole army could enter the city. Matters were only confused by Epiclides, who thought that it was only a small body of troops that had broken into the city. So when panicking civilians told him that the whole Roman army was in the city, he told them that this was just a rumour, and in fact only a small number had broken in. So he moved to push out the Romans, and upon seeing their numbers, he launched a few missiles at them before retreating to Acredina a suburb in the south of the city. Marcellus sought to bring this capture to an end by organising a surrender, and so he sent the exiled Syracusan aristocrats to discuss terms. But those who were defending the walls of Adracina were those who would not be granted pardon in a surrender, and so no peace deal was made. Marcellus then captured another district which remained outside of his control, so that he could focus all of his attention on Acredina. Meanwhile, Bomilcar moved to Carthage, with a portion of the Carthaginian fleet to report events. Marcellus was trying to act quickly, but he was not quick enough, as Himilco and Hippocrates arrived on the scene with a surprise attack, both from the newly arrived forces and from Acredina. 
However, Crispinus easily forced back Himilco and Hippocrates, while Marcellus had no trouble with Epiclides, making it clear to all that a surprise attack on the Romans wouldn't work. Here, there was a break in the action, as we are now in autumn, and plague broke out, affecting both armies. I don't want to spend too long on the plague, because this is primarily a podcast about military and political history, but if you are interested in the subject of ancient plague, I would recommend reading Book 2 of Thucydides, which is very interesting, particularly for its almost scientific approach, and Episode 27 of Robin Pearson's The History of Byzantium, The Walking Dead. Robin's History of Byzantium is one of my favourite shows, and his coverage of the plague is probably my favourite bit of it. Once I'd listened, I'd felt I had a better understanding of omnipresent death, which, while the fall of Syracuse is little like 6th century Constantinople, omnipresent death is a concept which transcends the ages. But to deal with the repercussions of the plague, the Sicilians could retreat to their towns to escape it. The Romans took losses, but they were relatively well sheltered and acclimatised to the humidity. The Carthaginians, on the other hand, were exposed and vulnerable. Hilco and Hippocrates were both killed by the pestilence, along with their whole Carthaginian force. Meanwhile, Bomilcar returned once again to Carthage. He said that the situation was still salvageable, and managed to set off with 130 ships and 700 transports, which alarmed the Romans, but due to easterly winds, they couldn't get around Pacinum, which alarmed the Syracusans. Epiclides became worried that Bomilcar would return to Africa if the winds continued, and so set off to meet him and persuaded him, against Bomilcar's better judgement, to risk a naval battle. The winds subsided, but Bomilcar second-guessed himself, and instead sailed to Tarentum, sending the transports back to Africa. Upon hearing the news, Epiclides decided it was too risky to stay, instead moving to Agrigentum, leaving the Syracusans very much alone. It was agreed that they should surrender. Those who Epiclides had left in control wound up dead, and the Syracusans agreed that it was Epiclides, Hippocrates, and Hieronymus who had been the enemies of Rome, not the Syracusans. They would make peace, everything that had been the kings would be Roman, and everything else left to Sicilians, who would be governed by their own laws. There was just one issue with the deal. The deserters were sure that they would be handed over, and so they brought Sicilian mercenaries over to their way of thinking, killed the Syracusan magistrates, and indeed every Syracusan they could find, while preparing to defend the Sissi. They elected six prefects, three to control the island by Syracuse, which was part of the Sissi, and three to control Acredina. But at this point, the mercenaries realised that they would not be punished as part of the deal. One of the prefects betrayed his section of Acrocina over to the Romans, who also managed to capture the island. 
and determined that the royal treasure not be plundered. Marcellus decided to halt the assault. The deserters used the opportunity to flee, and the Syracusans no longer had anything to fear. Acredina was handed over. Marcellus was not going to punish the Syracusans. Frankly, he considered that they'd punished themselves enough over the last few years. But this didn't mean that the city would not be plundered. He sent troops to guard the royal treasure, and then his troops set to work. It was in this chaos that, against the explicit orders of Marcellus, the great Archimedes was killed by a soldier who didn't recognise him. A tragic death for such a great mind. I'll briefly recount here that Syracuse was suffering severe supply shortages, which were alleviated by a raid from the Roman fleet upon the African city of Utica, which saw the capture of 130 merchant ships. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please visit us online at thehistoryofpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod, youtube.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, or historypodcasters.com. I said 12 months ago that 2013 would be a big year for the History Podcast, and I'd very much like to think that I followed through on that promise. It is a year that saw the re-release of Nationalism in Ireland episodes in the third year anniversary episode. It has seen more Let's Talks, another of which should be coming very soon. It's seen the London Meetup, it's seen Alexander Remastered, it's had the Arab Spring, I, for my part, have been interviewed on BBC television and BBC radio. The show received a very nice review in the Daily Telegraph. And as the show is getting very near to a thousand subscribers on YouTube, once that is passed, I'll be able to live stream videos, which opens up the possibility of streaming live podcast recordings. When I put out the last episode of 2012, which was Hannibal, episode 27, Lake Trasimene. I had 57 episodes out there. Now, the count stands at 132. I'm not really sure how I fitted 75 episodes into one year, but I'll say that I'm tremendously happy I've been able to do so. I hope that my voice has been a pleasant companion in your 2013, and I'll see you in 2014. Have a very happy new year, everybody.